Martin Luther, my favorite monk, probably the only one I really know, um, he said this, if you preach the gospel in all aspects, with the exception of the issues which deal specifically with your time, you're not preaching the gospel at all. And that quote has pushed me into many of challenging uh, sermons. In essence, what he, what he says here is that if you present the gospel in its entirety and yet you fail to apply the gospel to the specific challenges that your congregation is facing, you're withholding the, the sweetest portion of the good news that you most uh, need to preach in the application of the word. It's no secret that our congregation is um, in a tragic time. We're uh, mourning and we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. In the last few weeks, the Lord has taken home two precious souls, one of which was old in age and one very young in age. But it seems to me it would be a miss to stand behind the sacred desk this morning and just pick up where we last left off and not address the trials that we are all facing uh, together in this time. So with that being said, I invite you to open your Bibles and turn to the 23rd Psalm, please. Psalm 23. This is a familiar text. If I quote it, I still quote it in King James because I learned it a long time ago when I was reading that translation the most. If you would follow along with me as I read from uh, the New American Standard. This is God's holy word. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Every word is truth. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Charles Spurgeon, on August 12th of 1880, he preached this psalm. And he stated that he had been saving the honey that was in this rock until the end of his life when he would be approaching the River Jordan. And he was hit by one of life's great storms, one of life's great tragedies. And at that time, he said that he realized that this text was not simply for the dying, but for the living. And as I most often do, I agree with the, the prince of preachers. And I would add that the honey from this rock is even sweeter for those Christians who are walking away from death in the shadows than those who are walking towards it. 
It's one thing to know that your time is drawing near and to understand our great shepherd is guiding us to our eternal home that he has prepared us for and prepared for us. And knowing that we're soon gonna close our eyes on a sinful existence and wake up in glory. But it's an entirely different thing to walk through the shadow that's been cast over you by the loss of a loved one. It seems much more challenging to, to step away from the shadow than it is to, to, to step into it. When you look out and you, you, you have a lifetime of responsibilities to meet still and, and loved ones to care for, a Christ still to serve, and yet all you can see is darkness. As if you're walking down the hallway of a well-lit corridor and the lights were suddenly turned out in an instant, you know there's an exit. You know you can't stay in the hall forever. And it's hard to get to the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think this text, this passage reminds us that when the darkness of tragedy falls, when disaster comes, we need not be afraid of whether or not we can see our next step or our way out because we know and we have the character of a good and faithful God to lean upon, promises that never fail, a Christ who is all-sufficient, a shepherd who walks with us, guides us just as well in the shadows of the valley where the enemy awaits with his fiery darts and snares as he does in the light of the hills of green pasture where we think we can recognize more easily the evils that surround us. But I would submit that in the darkness is when we find out just how much the shepherd loves his sheep. And it's when we can't see our own way that we experience the reality of God's promises like we never have before. It's in the darkness we come to know the promises of Christ in a real and tangible way and we learn the reality of the words that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And we understand the comfort of God genuinely being our high tower, our refuge, our strength. And his word truly, truly begins to shine as the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. And we find ourselves learning how to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, let's pray. And by God's grace, we will distract this sweet honey from the rock. God, we bow before you. Lord, we confess our weakness, our frailty, and we collapse on your promises at the foot of your cross. God, you must carry us. You must be our guide, our strength, our portion, our song, our protection, our provision, as you show us that you are. Lord, would you please apply your word in a special way? Would you apply this sweet balm of truth to our souls in the ways that we need it? For your glory. For the sake of your son. Amen. We're going to see three exhortations in this passage to trust 
God as he guides us through the shadows of the valley. To trust his character, his, his protection, and his provisions. And that first exhortation comes from the first three verses. To trust God's character through the shadows. Let me read these again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. It's for his name's sake. I think what David has learned about his days as a, as a young shepherd boy, that he is much more like the, the sheep than the shepherd in his relationship with God. And with all the care that he's provided for his sheep, fighting off the bear and the lion and the things that he has done to protect his herd, God is far greater still. His protection is more excellent. But looking at this flock and understanding something of a shepherd, he's, he's learned that as his sheep depend on him at night, by knowing how well he protects them in the day, that he can do the same and we must do the same to grow equally reliant on God as our great shepherd. And I don't know how often I've walked into the woods before sunrise and after sunset knowing exactly where I'm going. You know, knowing where every stick is, knowing where the branches are that I need to duck, knowing where my bow usually gets hung up as I walk, all of those things. And I'm still always just a little fearful walking in, a little more aware of what might be around me, a little more sensitive to the twigs and the leaves as they rustle and snap and break. And you wonder a little bit more what might be lurking around in the dark and it occurred to me that when I was a child and I would make those same trips in and out of the woods with my with my dad I was never scared I knew my, my protector was walking with me and so I wasn't worried and if a limb would snap or leaves would rustle or we'd jump something up I, I would I would just look at him and I'd look to see what, what, what he would do. And I learned there was a certain sweet comfort in my dependence, which I lost as I got older and when I began walking in those trips in the dark by myself, when I knew I was helpless and when I was solely dependent on a protector, I had no fear. But when I began to rely on myself, I lost my fearlessness I believe that's where David is going with this he's reminding the believer in God of what God has done for you daily clearly in the open light all of that he continues to do for you even to a greater degree now in the darkness and so he's building on all of that to put comfort into our souls knowing God will provide the strength that he always has provided as we walk in these deep, dark, heavy, gloomy valleys. And I realize it's, you bring a sermon like this and it's much easier to say, to advise than to actually do. And I know many, when, when, when they hear comfort from, from, from other people, they they have to admit they don't know 
You don't know what I'm walking through exactly. You don't know my darkness. And I would say you're right. I don't. No one does. I think David validates that when he says over and over, me and I, I walk through the valley. You're the only one, whatever that tragedy may be, that can feel what you're feeling and know what you know about the despair and the pain that you experience. But what we do have here is a remedy, a certain remedy for fear, for pain and despair. And it is the same remedy regardless of the valley. And your deepest comfort in the darkness, it's, it's not gonna come from other people who have walked in similar valleys, although their testimonies are highly beneficial. Ultimately, though, what, what God the Holy Spirit is teaching us through the pen of, of David is what, what carries the believer through the darkness, through the valley, through the despair, is trust in the proven character of God and his promises that God has given us that are replete in his word. And then David's showing us something, I think, of a struggle that, that we have. We struggle, I believe, to trust God in, in, in the darkness and in the valleys and in the hard times because we trust ourselves too much in the light. We give ourselves a little bit too much credit. And so one of the most paralyzing mistakes we make in times of tragedy is to, is to look back behind us then and think that we have been the ones that were doing all the guiding, all the leading before the disaster hit. And so when we think that way, when our world goes black and we think, how will I continue to do what I've been doing? I can't even see my next step. I can't see five minutes in front of my life. How am I going to provide? How am I going to continue to love? How am I going to continue to lead? How am I going to have joy? How am I just going to go on? Well, the truth is that I or we, we've never been in control. And it has been God all along that has led us in the green pastures, that has gave us rest there, that's took us beside the quiet waters, that's restored our souls. It's always been him. It's never been us. Everything that we have ever had in this life, from our daily bread to the sustenance of our faith and the maintenance of our wealth, we've only received those things from God. It's always been him. And the best way for us to learn to trust him in the darkness of night is to remember all that he has done in the clear light of the day. And that's what David does. Look at these verses again and notice how many times the word he and his is used compared to me and I. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. David's saying you can trust God in the valley of the shadow of death by recognizing all that God has done continually for you in the light. The only, the only reference David makes to himself is just to simply stop wanting. Stop worrying, he's saying. Don't worry about the protection as you pass through the dark. All that you need will come from the true and good shepherd who has always provided for you everything that you need. 
So David exhorts us first to trust in God's character to be the source of our comfort in the valley, and then he exhorts us to trust God's promised protection through the shadows. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There are a couple subtleties here that are, are great helps for the believer First, note that the believer is only passing through the valley. He's walking through it. He's going to come out on the other side. The idea is that David is that David's presenting is that God is, is, is granting safe passage through a valley, a temporary valley of darkness. And the thing that that, that we must remember about a, a shadow, it's simple, but There is no shadow without a shining sun. The very fact that we are in a shadow reminds us that the sun still shines and there's just an object that seems bigger than us or is bigger than us that's blocking our view. And we just happen to find ourselves in the darkness of the thing as it's passing. The sun has never ceased to shine. It is still there. And as we continue to walk, we go through the shadow. And we re-enter the light. That's a metaphor David uses to describe the the temporary nature of the darkness that consumes our mind and soul currently. And it's not only dark, it's deep. This isn't a shallow darkness, it's it's deep. And there's uh, pictures of mountains on, on either side that sort of funnel you into the deepest part of the darkness and it appears we, we are blind. And we don't know how far we have left to go. We don't know where the passage ends. We don't know what dangerous things approach. We don't know what snares the enemy has set for us. And we, we become fearful. And the temptation is to panic. And the temptation is to act um, irrationally and just, just take off running into the darkness. Or, or to shut down and just... just Stop listening, stop trusting the voice of the shepherd, and then just, and just stay there. But even the darkest shadows cannot silence the shepherd's voice. And notice, too, that he's, he's walking. He's not running. Walking is, is, the, is the pace that we take through the darkness. It's a step-by-step gait beside the shepherd Running away and just trying to blast through the valley isn't the way out. David says, even though, even though I was just walking in green pastures and I was just lying beside still waters, even now, now that my environment has changed and I'm in this valley of shadows, My environment does not dictate the level of care and guidance that God provides. Nothing has has changed there. And whether I can see what's ahead or not, I'm not going to fear what evil might be ahead because I know, I know who is with me. I know my shepherd. I know his rod. I know his staff. And I know how he uses those things to protect me. I think if we could see a linear depiction of this psalm, it starts here in the hills and then it dips 
low, so low, and then it comes up again even higher on the end. And if you zoom back even farther, you see Psalm 22. You see the psalm, the Lord Jesus cries out when he was forsaken, when he was in darkness. And then you see on 24, lift your heads, you ancient gates, so that the king of glory might come in. And in between that is this valley that, that we walk. So in the first three verses, you got an imagery of sun shining and green hillsides and flowing brooks of waters, rest, comfort, and satisfaction. And then you, you have an instant plunge into tragedy and shadows, shadows of despair that follow death. They've, they've come over us, and now we have an invisible terrain Although it hasn't changed, it's as if the, the pastures are gone, as if the waters have stopped flowing. And the movement begins from, from lying down to just a slow and steady walk with your shepherd, armed with his rod and staff, guiding, disciplining with his rod to keep us from turning off the path, using the staff to fight off incoming threats, an evil that the sheep cannot see. And when I was preparing this, I was trying, I was trying to picture what was, what was happening. And I'm, you know, what, what, what evils are there? What cannot be seen? And I think I was asking the wrong question. I think David is making a point of telling us it doesn't matter. No evil. All evil, all temptation, all doubt, all fear, all whispers of the enemy, all the fiery darts, all the snares, it does not matter because God is there. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So whether it is an evil of, of doubting the goodness of God or, or doubting his loving kindness, those are the things David brings back up at the end of the passage Whatever the attacks the enemy brings, it doesn't matter. They're all going to crumble under the mighty staff of our great shepherd. And there's nothing the enemy can bring against you that will get through his defense because nothing can. No weapon formed against you. But I suppose it's right to ask then how. How, how does this happen? How is God going to protect me? What does it look like when God swings the staff and breaks the jaw of the enemy? And I suppose David gives us these answers and it looks like an abundance of rest and provisions and promises being set before the mind at the right time in a way the enemy cannot touch. It's as if they can only watch from a distance as, as your God ministers to you in the valley. Look at the last two verses. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the last exhortation David gives us is to trust God's provision through the shadows. How does he do this? How does God rescue our mind? How does he protect our faith? 
How does he keep us from, from throwing our lot in with the world and saying, if it hurts like this to follow God, why do it? How does he keep me from listening to the lies of the enemy that want to pull me into deeper darkness and despair? And the answer David gives us is that he prepares a table for two. He prepares a table for two for you to sit and to rest in communion with him. And what is spread on that table surely must be all the promises of the gospel, all the great truths of the character of God. Every guarantee you have of your safe passage is set before you as a feast. And as the enemy tries to come and approach you, he finds you feasting. He sees you sitting there, anointed of God. A cup overflows. And a feast of heavenly bread put before you, and he can only watch as you commune with the Savior of heaven and earth. I think he sees on that table laid out that unbreakable golden chain of salvation that death cannot take away. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called And those whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And that chain cannot be broken. You will get to glory. You will not be snatched away. You will remain firm because he holds you there. As maybe the enemy would attempt to to sneak in a whisper or bring an accusation against you and your weakness and your doubts. They fall flat and the Lord offers you another piece of bread. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against you? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who has justified you. Who can condemn you? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for you. Who will separate you from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We feast We feast on his word. And as we feast at the table with him and we read his promises and we're reminded of his character, we're reminded of our Savior, we're reminded of the abundance that we have in God 
that we have an anointing that flows over us. His spirit dwells in us as a seal, a promised earnest payment on our salvation. And we're reminded what is written in Luke's gospel, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And abundance will come. As we sit and we dine and we commune with our Christ, our cup, we begin to notice it overflowing. And we can sing with that hymn writer, all I have needed, thy hand has provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And as we go through these things, the mind is renewed by the mercies of God, transformed by the word of God, and our spirits refreshed by the presence of God. And the shepherd lifts us, and he begins to walk with us again with a renewed assurance that the goodness and loving kindness of God will follow us all the days, the good and the bad of our lives. And we come again to another table. And we walk and we come again to another table till one day we reach the steps of heaven. We reach that dwelling place in the house of the Lord where we will spend eternity Whereas we've heard there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more sadness and no more sin. And awaiting for us there will be those loved ones. They'll be there. The ones who've gone before us in Christ to welcome us, to welcome us home. to tell us all that they know and have seen of the glory of our God and all he was doing for us in the darkness, how he has been guiding us all along. And there we will be and there we will dwell forever and nothing can stop you from getting there in between. No matter how deep the valley or how dark the night, God is faithful. And his loving kindness endures forever. And he will provide you the rest when you need it. He will walk with you at your pace. He will protect you. He will guide you. And he will lead you home. And your foot will not slip. I want to conclude, though, by saying this. This text, it's, it's, it's full of of comfort and encouragement because it, it reminds us the, of the temporariness of the darkness. That although darkness comes, the dawn is approaching. But this, this strength, this comfort are for the sheep who belong to the shepherd. Those who have followed the Lord Jesus Christ by turning from sin, turning from self-righteousness and placing their faith in him for forgiveness of those sins and receiving the atonement and the eternal life that only Christ can give you. 
And so as I would want to bring comfort to anyone hurting in this time, I can't give you this. Only Christ can give you this. And he offers this to you freely to come and drink from the living waters, to bow the knee, to confess his lordship, to turn from your sin, not by your doing or by your strength or by your choosing, but by his power, his grace, his spirit. Romans 5 says it this way, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one who will hardly die for a righteous man, but perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, he says, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more shall we be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Only Jesus Christ, only the blood of the Lamb can make you righteous and justify you before a holy God and remove the wrath of judgment that awaits sinners who live in rebellion their whole lives, who continually reject God. It is only by the lamb who was slain that your sins can be washed away. And I pray and I have prayed and many have prayed that if you entered this house of worship this morning, a stranger to God, hostile towards his holiness and his godliness, that you would bow today in humble repentance and confess him as Lord. That you would turn from your sin and trust in him as Lord of your life. And that you might have walked in here alone and tormented, but you can walk out of here with the shepherd, guiding you, protecting you, providing for you in all the ways that he has promised for all of your days into eternal life. So as we prepare to, to dismiss I don't generally do this, but I do invite you to come, to come this morning for prayer, whether that be for yourself or for others, and I, I, I beg you, I beg you, do not leave here without Christ. That's your hope. Our only hope, our only strength is in him. So I'll close this in a word of prayer and we will have a moment to respond and and worship in song, but I will be here ready to pray, to counsel, whatever you might need. The Bible says the day of salvation is today. Seek the Lord while he is near. Tomorrow is the day of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these promises. We thank you for the comfort they provide. 
We thank you that it is not on our strength, on our own two feet, or even the strength of our mind or our muscles that we walk. It's by the power and the strength of the shepherd. Lord, carry us. Help us to see your goodness and your loving kindness. Remind us of our anointing. Remind us of our cup overflowing even if we can't see it now. Set that table before us, Lord. Spread your promises out in the eye of our mind. Drill them into our souls and our hearts that we would take every thought captive for Christ. That we might walk as you restore us faithfully and humbly and peacefully. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to also say just one more thing as we finish up today in our time of worship, whenever that is, we're going to allow the Jens family to dismiss first from the balcony and then we will exit behind them. But I encourage you, pray today. Pray.